Welcome to the Sunday session on NRL.com. We're going to take you through all eight games from round 19 of the NRL Telstra Premiership. My name is Chris Kennedy and Kenny Scott, as always, is with me to talk me through it. Kenny, thank you for being here. Thanks once again. Can't wait to get stuck in. Now, we do uh, usually like to try and get a guest on the podcast. It's been a little bit tricky this week just with everything that's going on up in Queensland, everyone in bubbles, and a lot of media managers also locked down. It's just been really hard, but I was able to dial into uh, the Roosters' uh, scheduled um, media opportunity via Zoom uh, on Sunday. So uh, I had a chat to Jared Warrior Hargreaves and Lachlan Lamb. So uh, we're going to have a quick listen to Jared Warrior Hargreaves first up. So here he is. Obviously, uh, a lot of guys had to dig deep. We've seen, you know, Satili and Angus had to go out into the uh, the centres. I think Sam Beryl's his first 80-minute game in, in I don't know how long. Um, you know, a lot of guys had to, to do things they probably weren't necessarily expecting to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think um, when you see guys just get out there and um, I think Nat, you know, he's sitting in the room here, but for, for a guy like him to play in the middle and then have to go out on the edge, prepare all week like he's going to play as a middle and then uh, adversity hits um, on the run and then you end up playing centre um, and, and you actually you, you do a really good job of it. Um, you perform in that position and that's that's something that you can help, hold, hold, your, hold your head up high, sorry. And um, I think as a leader of the club, you can uh, look back and, and be really proud of these guys for sure. Just you touched on before the the families coming up. I know there's you know images coming out of everyone sort of being pinned in quarantine and can't go outside and that sort of thing. But it's you know it's going to be a, a big boost for everyone once all that's sort of over and um, you get the families sort of amongst the group. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm looking forward to. I think my wife told me it's uh, ten more sleeps um, <laughs> and counting. But yeah, yeah, really exciting, mate. Really excited to to get them up here and enjoy some sun and uh, they're enjoying it, mate. They'll be right. Just the last one. You spoke about Para um, a, a little bit earlier. Obviously, um, yeah, similar position to you. I was on the the ladder, but um, I guess just the the physicality of that that team we saw against Canberra on um, you know the, the first game of the round. There, uh, it was a really really tough, uh, brutal contest. So I guess you you know what sort of game you're going to be in for. Yeah, for sure. We played them about um, about six weeks ago out of Bank West, and um, it was a very physical game and. Um, no doubt it'll be a uh, another one on Thursday night for sure. That was Jared Warrior Hargreaves, and I'll send a quick chat to Lachlan Lamb, so we'll take a quick listen to that one as well. It's that game, if there's no injuries, you come on at hooker. Uh, because there are injuries, you, you come on, you're playing out wide. How much of an adjustment is that for you, sort of in a really short space of time, to, to be playing a completely different role to what you're probably prepared for? Yeah, I think uh, I can put, come on really anywhere. You know, I think the game sort of dictates where I come on there, so... Um, I'm a footy player at the end of the day, so if I'm, they need me to play in the centres, man, oh, that's what I'll play. Just your, I guess, week to week, you're probably focusing mostly on, on hooker at, at training or are you literally sort of trying to cover as many bases as possible? Yeah, I think it's a bit of, bit of everything. Um, you know, obviously focus on there at nine and then and then the other stuff sort of just building in there. So that's, as I touched on before, a lot of stuff after training, working on those uh, different areas. How have you found sort of, you know, obviously uh, Hacho missed a few weeks there, so you would have done a fair bit of work with Sam Walker and then probably Hacho as well when he's he's been back. Yeah, but have I felt the combination there? Yeah, or... yeah no, it's been good. It's been good. I play with Joey a lot and um, he's a good player and he's, he's, he's clear with his talk and communication, so it makes it easy for us there. 
And just that adapting on the fly. Did I see Sam defender set on the wing when the, all the injuries were were happening there? Uh, probably, yeah, probably <laughs> cheeky hiding out there, isn't he? Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think that's just the way it, it probably panned out. That set, I don't think he's out there for any other reason. I think it just ended up that way that set. But yeah, I think just adapting is is something we have to do there. Just looking forward to the uh, the Eels this weekend at the top of the table uh, clash. They'll be stinging coming off a, a pretty physical and pretty close loss to the, the Raiders. Yeah, looking forward to that. I think that's, you know, that's something we're, we're running after there, especially coming into the back end of the year. You know, we want to take it to one of those sides there. Um, and I think, you know, the way we've been training and the steps we've been taking in the last couple of weeks, I think we're definitely on the right path for that. That was the two guys from the Roosters talking through uh, their win over the Knights and the uh, clash to come against the Parramatta Eels. Now, Kenny, we're going to tear through uh, the games from round 19, as always, in reverse chronological order. The last one, uh, Sharks and the Bulldogs. It finished up 44 to 24. Defence pretty optional for most of this one. A lot of line breaks. Um, Sharks absolutely uh, tearing away with it late in the first half before uh, just forgetting to return to the field in the second half. And the Bulldogs uh, gained the ascendancy for a solid run there before for um, Sharks sort of reasserted themselves towards the end. Bit of a strange game. Yeah, you're right. It was, a, it was a, an old one. Really fun, though. Um, something that says, that says the Sharks sort of need to, need to wake up, right? Because you can't let the bottom, the bottom place club put 20, close to 30 points on you. Um, and it also says to the Bulldogs, you know, they're not that bad. Like, they've got some, they've got some good footy. And then, like, the Sharks are no slouches. They're a decent team. And they've, you know, at times in the game, they came close. Obviously, the, the end of the score, I mean, I don't think they were actually ever closer than 12 points away. Um, but still, uh, encouraging signs. But a, a bit of an odd one, yeah. I, I thought, what did it get to? It was 12-0. Um, uh, and then Luke Thompson got sinbinned. And then from there, no, 12-6, sorry. Then Luke Thompson got sinbinned. Um, and I thought that's it, game over, because the Sharks ran in three tries or whatever it was, um, make it 30 to six at half time. And I, and I basically thought, you know what, I reckon I could do the podcast without even watching the second half of this game because it's going to get to like 60, you know, the, the Sharks are just going to want to run away for it. And then for the second half, Bulldogs came out of nowhere, like they've been shot out of a cannon. It was amazing. Like back-to-back tries got right back in the game. Um, it, was, it was good fun towards the end, but like you said, defense uh, probably not really there. Yeah, that sort of early in the second half period when the Bulldogs got their tails up, they looked really good. Like they were full of running, a lot of energy. They just probably lacked um, polish at the end of sets, some really horrible um, just execution style ends to sets there. But um, you know, speaking of Luke Thompson, I think you know, from what we've seen this year, Sinbin probably a, a fair result. But um, either side of that, he was phenomenal, just absolutely tearing into the uh, the Sharks' defence, scored a try and set one up and um, just really, really hard to handle. Um, for the Sharks, huge blow with Sean Johnson Johnson pulling up lame with a, a hamstring mm. tweak. He's had a few hammy issues in the past, getting a little bit later in his career. So soft tissue injuries becoming more of a, a concern. That's, um, you know, they've got a, a relatively soft draw, uh, the Sharks heading into the end of the season. So you expect them to hang on. Matt Moylan probably back, we think, next week. Braden Trindle showed some good signs. But, yeah, losing Sean Johnson at uh, this stage of the season, having let uh, Chad Townsend go, that's a, that's a huge blow. So is that is he definitely missing game time? Is that is that being confirmed? I mean, 
Dr. Kennedy over here has diagnosed him with a grade two hamstring strain. He's going to miss four to six weeks. Yeah, I'm not sure, but you, the looks, there's no way he plays next week, right? Like a, even a minor yeah, hand, yeah. grip, um, he, he's going to miss at least a fortnight. And I would say from the looks of it, probably longer. But yeah, I, I love Sean Johnson. I'm watching him play. Uh, you know, he's a great bloke to interview as well. Uh, really, you know, deep thinker on the game. I hope he's not out too long, but um, looking at it, you have to say he misses footy. That's interesting, yeah. So without Sean Johnson, I wonder what they, where do they get their, their creative spark from? Because you're right, they've lost Chad, Chad Townsend as well. And interestingly enough, in the um, experts' view column this week, every, I think every single person named the Sharks as one of the one of the teams that's going to get that uh, the seventh or eighth spot due to their relatively soft run home. Um, but without Sean Johnson, that really changes things. Yeah, it does. I mean, they still do have a relatively easy draw compared to the other teams around them on the ladder and the Dragons, who are um, the ones who are level with them, have a really, really tough draw. Um, Knights have a pretty soft draw as well, which is why I put them as the other team along with the Sharks to make it in. But they would, um, we'll get to them in a minute, but they were diabolical on the weekend, but certainly one to watch. Anyway, before we get to that, the uh, the earliest Sunday game, the Dragons and the Titans. I mean, speaking of the Dragons dropping off the twig, they uh, that was, you're talking about them having a, a tough draw. That didn't include round 19. I think a lot of us were expecting them to, to account for the Titans, who've been pretty disappointing this year. But um, yeah, Titans just absolutely ran amok. And, uh, you know, Dragons, they started okay, but Titans just really, really put the foot down. I'll tell you what, the, the Dragons, they, look, they just look like a team that is stressed. Like they're under pressure. They've lost you know a million games in a row they're they're sliding quickly sliding out of the top eight they've got that whole COVID barbecue drama um hanging over their heads they just look like yeah a team that are stressed and you could tell on the field there was one point where I think it was Matt Dufty had a had a crack at um oh, I can't remember who it was um Jordan oh Jordan Pereira. um yeah, Pereira, yeah like openly on the field berating a teammate like when a, a play breaks down that's that's rare and it only happens uh, under you know um, circumstances of extreme stress, that the team, I think, once they get the whole squad back and they can, you know, maybe they've probably, they've probably already had a truth session and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, they're, they're, it doesn't look like they're in a particularly good place. And the Titans, on the other hand, look like they enjoyed that game a fair bit. Uh, obviously, because David Fafita had had another cracking match. I think the games where he, you know, <laughs> breaks tackles and scores tries are usually games that the Titans win, and that's definitely one where he did it in this game as well. Yeah, that, I mean, the Dragons, first of all, that play you're talking about with Dufty and Pereira, if Pereira stays where Dufty wants him to be, he's got about six inches of space to work with down that sideline. The reason he came back in was because Dufty was pretty much running himself into touch. So I'm not sure uh, exactly what Dufty was was thinking there, but if Pereira stays there and gets the ball, I think he probably goes into touch. Um, as for the Titans, David Fafita benched. Think about what he did, that try that he scored down the right edge, the other try that he set up for Greg Mars here, all the tackles that he busted. He spent the first 25 minutes it's, you know, sitting down and, and watching. It's um, I just I assume Justin Holbrook's trying to light a fire under him because he hasn't really sort of been great the past, you know, pretty much from the the Origin one through to now. That was back to to vintage for feeder in that game. But um, yeah, it sounds like Holbrook's trying to get a, a bit of a response out of his marquee signing. Yeah, I also think the Titans probably need to get used to playing without David Fafita because when he like when he's on, the strategy is. Give it, give it to him and, it and watch him yeah. do something. So they've probably, like, you, you have to manage, like, how does the team not become super reliant on him? And also, what do you need to do to, to get a reaction out of him? Well, I guess not having, not having him on the field for a portion of the game is probably a way to achieve both of those things. But, 
Yeah, I mean the way he that, that that try that he scored where he carried you know half the dragons back line over the over the um the try over the try line and then the like the weird wrist acrobatics he had to do to get the ball down safely as well was amazing stuff. He had a great game. He's a phenomenal physical specimen. Yeah, when he's at his best, he's so hard to stop. Uh, a couple of injuries from this one. Uh, Cody Ramsey right at the end with a looked like a wrist injury and then. Um, Brian Kelly also for the Titans rolled his ankle, uh, might be uh, missing uh, a little bit of game time. Got to mention also Titans debutant Toby Sexton playing in the halves, scored a try and debut, had his uh, support crew there cheering him on. Uh, pretty highly rated up around the uh, the Gold Coast region for for fans who haven't heard a lot about him. So um, he certainly looked uh, unflustered and, and pretty calm out there. He's you know took over the goal kicking and you know nailed some pretty tough ones. So big future there, I reckon, for uh, Toby Sexton. Might be seeing a fair bit more of him in the NRL. I reckon there's, there's some kind of content series one could put together about the group of friends that debutants bring to their first game because the last sort of 18 months, it's been a real thing. And maybe there's just a lot of, maybe this has always been happening and there just hasn't been as, as much attention on it, but you know, you can go all the way back to like Cody Ramsey's mum to like, you know, Zach, uh, Charlie Stain's famous. That's probably the most, the most well-known one of, of recent memory. Zach Sini, um, you know, Sexton this weekend. There's just this great little tradition almost of like a, a you know, bunch of like 15 mates coming up to embarrass the debutante and they usually have a pretty good game it's good stuff always fantastic areas yeah the uh saturday night footy finished off with the panthers and the broncos uh 18 points to 12 it was 18 points to nil uh at one stage but uh yeah broncos um as they did actually to penrith in in round six really sort of stuck it to them and um it's probably two of the the hardest games penrith have had uh this year despite uh, the relative positions of uh of each club on the ladder, but um, yeah, Broncos on the back of another pain house, um, well in performance were, uh, you know, pretty gritty in this one. It's a funny old game, rugby league, isn't it? You got the the high flying Panthers who everyone basically says, stop the competition, it's Panthers and Melbourne. And then you got the Broncos that are struggling big time, you know, one one step up off the bottom of the ladder. And you and to, to see that the game was four nil at half time without a try scored. Mm. bizarro stuff like this game i was predicting like 80 nil like i was like there's no way that the broncos are going to be able to contain the panthers but they did a did a pretty good job i mean um i don't know if the panthers went into it maybe just expecting to win it didn't seem like they were they were nowhere near as slick and polished as they usually are probably you know, they're missing um nathan cleary of course arguably the world's greatest halfback at the moment um and i suppose that showed but the broncos showed some real grit to be 18 nil down and the game you could have called the game off at that point um, to stay in it. And I mean, if Brody Croft doesn't throw an unnecessary pass, basically in the act of scoring a try, it could have been 20 all. It was, I mean, the Broncos taking it to the Panthers. No one would have seen this coming. Yeah. I don't know about that. Everyone was saying, Oh, you're already over the line, Brody, but we, he hit the ground right after he passed it. And he was still sort of a foot and a half, short of the try line. He's only got tiny little arms, Brody Croft. I don't know. If that, <laughs> you would have had to, uh, to reach right out to, to get the ball down. So, um, Honestly, yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was, I'm not saying it was, a, it was a wrong call, but it was unlucky to have that call, like to have that called against them. I, I would have seen other, other situations where that would have been let go. Yes, it was a correct call, but unlucky to have been pulled up. Yeah, certainly. Um, the, you mentioned it was 4-0 at half time without a try. I, I would have assumed, had I not watched the game, that was two penalty goals. It was a penalty goal for that 40-metre <laughs> two-point field goal from Dylan Edwards right on the stroke of half time. Uh, it's certainly just a, a strange set of circumstances. 
Yeah, I'm surprised there's not a, more teams aren't practicing that as a you know end of clock, last 10 seconds, last 30 seconds of of either half strategy. Like park your kicker just behind the 40 and you know, give them good space and get him to spank it because it's you know, it's two points that you you know, last year you wouldn't you wouldn't have had the opportunity to try and get. And it, you know, proved half of the difference. Well, a third of the difference um, this weekend. Just uh, other one we have to mention is Isaiah Yo, clocked by Tom Flegler pretty high. Uh, bit of a history with concussions, unfortunately, Isaiah Yo. So, um, yeah, one of the games real good guys. Hopefully he's not uh, too bad. Our, our best wishes to him. Flegler, you reckon a little bit lucky to have only got the, the 10 in the bin, given what we saw with Formayono and Ryan Pappenhausen and a few other things uh, this year. Since pretty minor things get 10, and that was uh, a pretty, you know, he didn't miss him. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what's the... I think there just needs to be a resetting of what the criteria is like because it, it he didn't miss him, but I wouldn't actually... I wouldn't say it was a deliberate high shot. It was a deliberate big shot that went wrong. Um, yeah, if he had been sent, then I wouldn't have been surprised. But because you know, him only getting 10 kind of doesn't surprise me as well. So, um, yeah. Anyway, the uh, the middle Saturday game, the Seagulls forty four to twenty four over your West Tigers. I thought some impressive fight from the Tigers, certainly in the first half of this one, but probably just as the the game or on that the class of DCE and Turbo made the difference. CK, you may notice that uh, during this recording, I'm a little flat. Um, uh, my energy is just just don't have the same energy that I do, and the reason is because I put all of it into this game because. <laughs> The Tigers, like you said, they. I, I didn't. I hadn't. I'd marked this down as a loss. Um, you know, Manly are going pretty well at the moment. The Tigers are struggling a little bit, um, but they had glimpses and they were ahead at points. You know, twelve ten going into just before halftime and that sort of stuff. And it was, you know, the way the Tiger, the way the Tigers always do is they, um, you know, they give you a sniff and then they let you down, and that's what happened this game as well. This their their defense. They've got to do something about that defense, especially specifically against Tom Trebojevic, because he we everybody knows how great a player is, how how fast a runner is, how slick he is, how hard to contain he is. You gotta you you gotta hit him up with a straight line of defense. That's just how that's the only way to approach him. And every single time it was staggered, and every single time he got around them. It was just it was so frustrating to watch. And the Tigers, um, they just couldn't not mainly. But Manly didn't have to build any pressure during this game. I think all of their tries came from at least 30 metres out. They were just, you know, they were breaks. They were Tromtovojevic running around the defence. Um, and the times when the, when the Tigers got those periods of, of sustained attack, and they were definitely there. They, you know, Tommy Tullow drops it on the first tackle after four consecutive sets and just, bam, get, lets the pressure off and Manly go and score. It was, it was hard to watch. Not like, you know, I didn't expect them to win. I don't think anybody would have expected, expected them to win. But when they, you know, when they were there for moments of the game, it's it's uh, as a fan, it's frustrating to watch them throw it away. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, imagine the boys that they, they knew exactly what was coming at them with with Turbo, but stopping it's another uh, another thing. But you're right, the uh, the staggered defensive line and giving him half a sniff every time he had the ball, it's uh, it's yeah. not the way to go about it. Um, I do, I'm just, I'm a bigger fan of Adam Dewey with every week that goes past. I just, he's such a I don't know. He just always puts in. He always comes up with something. He never stops trying. He's, um, you know, we had five try assists the, the week before and then, you know, getting stuck into Big Marty to power, which, um, you know, Dewey's, <laughs> Dewey's not exactly small, but I'm not sure that's a fight you want to be <laughs> you want to be taking on. But uh, he's, a, he's a feisty young man. Yeah, I totally agree. Dewey's, Dewey's an excellent player. He's, he's one of the team's best, um, if not the best. And when he's, I mean, 
Yes. He's been moved from from um, five eight to centre and back to five eight. I think him in the six, the the team's better for it. And you're right, he's got that determination. He he's the one that like I was complaining a couple of weeks ago that the Tigers don't have any players that can provide like game breaking game breaking moments. He's the he's the closest they've got. Like he he has um he has that in his game and he does provide those moments occasionally. But a bit more work and he could probably be doing it um you know relied upon to do it often. So. Um, he's a, a shining light in what looks like another dark season for the poor old Tigers. A little bit of unhappiness from the Tigers camp with uh, former uh, favourite son, Josh Alloyer, with a bit of a prowler on um, Alex Seyfarth. What did you make of that one? Yeah, that looked... I thought he was lucky to not to not be sin-binned. It, it, looked like a, it looked like a cannonball to me, like just straight up um, hitting the knees and having them buckle. It was pretty ugly stuff, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll all come out in the, in the judiciary. In fact, I think it already has. So, um, you know, them's the breaks. Yeah, he's facing a, a week out. I agree with you. I think, you know, I've, I've found him to be a great fella, Josh Eller, when I've spoken to him. But, um, yeah, I, I think lucky to not be binned for that one and, and lucky to only get uh, a week out of it. Pretty dangerous sort of tackle. The first Saturday game, the Bunnies, 60 points to 22 against the Warriors. Um, I just I just feel for New Zealand at the moment. They lost another two to HIAs in the first half of this one, both back rowers. So it's always, you know, the week before it was all the backs. And, um, you know, this week the, the edge forwards, they, um, they just can't copper break I mean I think we can safely say South would have won anyway but um yeah just cannot copper break at the moment the poor Warriors yeah it's tough I mean they haven't haven't actually haven't been able to play a home game for nearly two full seasons yeah um yeah they've got a great great squad um uh they've got uh elements of a you know successful team in there they just um I guess they're still still finding out how to make that happen on the field but yeah like coming up against South. South are in red hot form. We've seen what they've been doing. It, there's there's no one who would have expected the Warriors to win. But still, it was six nil to the Warriors after like what six minutes or something. And I thought that's a um, you know this, the game's on here. And then it was just an avalanche of Rabbitohs points after that. I think uh, it would be a worrying uh, for the Bunnies the ease as to which like when the game was over. That's uh, it was like thirty to six or something. The game was over. Um, but the Warriors were allowed to sort of, you know, just tick over with some easy tries, which I think, um, you know, as a coach, surely you want your side to be ruthless 100% of the time. And in those periods, they definitely weren't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, some stuff for the, for the Souths to work on. Yeah, I think Wayne Bennett afterwards rated it a 6 out of 10 performance. I think he's mm. getting a bit frustrated with how easily they're letting points in. In games that they've got under control and are cruising towards a win, just taking their foot off the gas and letting some soft tries in you know we've seen them have two huge losses i think i've lost three games all year but two of them were absolute monsters against the the panthers and storms so they're going to have to tighten some of that stuff up uh when the tough games come at the end of the year and they do have quite a few uh top eight teams in the uh the run home but um i mean for them you know they racked up 60 points cody walker latrell mitchell adam reynolds all on fire once again i'd you know Warriors very very brittle um, in the the middle part of the defence around the goal line goal line but uh, Tom Burgess crashing over for a couple Damian Cook just absolutely scheming at his at his best sending those short passes and the you know the the lead runners over the line it's um, it was a bit of an attacking clinic at least from the bunnies <laughs> yeah um, I mean it always is right that we that back line I mean the forward pack whatever they're they're a great team. I thought uh, Reese Walsh, he probably needs to work on his kicking game a little bit for the Warriors. There was a couple of moments there where he, you know, not putting a loss at his feet at all, but, um, you know, just seven tackle sets, kicks out in the floor, that sort of stuff just, just wasn't quite there for him. Um, 
before we move on from this game, I have a stat. I think it's correct. Um, I don't think Dallin Wateni Zelezniak has won a game all year. Does that sound correct to you? I'd have to double check. Well, don't worry. We can do it later. But I'm pretty sure that's what <laughs> happened. So the poor guy, I bring that up because every game he's been playing for the Warriors, every game for the Bulldogs as well. Like he, he tries his guts out. He's obviously a really great athlete. He's got a lot of um, athletic skill and ability. And he has his moments like he scored their one and only try. Um, let's hope he gets a win soon. I'm, uh, yeah, you're correct. No, no wins at all for Dallas. Oh, like, what a poor guy. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is tough. Um, anyway, moving back through the round to the Friday game, Storm 20 points to 16 winners over the Cowboys. I think if you'd given me one game of the round that was going to be a, a huge blowout, even uh, more so than the, the Bunnies-Warriors game, I would have picked this one. And that's no disrespect to the Cowboys, but the Storm have been torching everyone lately. Cowboys were in front midway through the second half, 12 points to 10. And, um, you know, probably only a couple of their mistakes that um, allowed the, the Storm to, to get in front uh, in the second half. I'd have to say Storm a bit off their game, but... Uh, uh, yeah, pretty impressive fight from the Cowboys all up. I'll tell you what, as soon as I read Jake Granville at fullback, <laughs> Cowboys versus Storm, I was like, well, that's it. The game's over. There's no way this is going to work. And I don't mean that Jake Granville's a great player, but I definitely do not see him as a fullback by any means. And like, how surprising. This was a really fun game to watch because it Melbourne just didn't, um, they didn't seem, things just didn't seem to happen for them the way they seemed to have, have been happening for them basically every single game for this year. And I'm not saying they're not ha- they're happening for them through luck. They're obviously, they're a super skillful team and you, know, you make your own luck and all that sort of stuff. But just after weeks and weeks of seeing them carve, carve people up in, you know, 20, 30, 40 point margins to see them, you know, have to scramble and be tested and to you know, get away with a win was, was really different, especially against the Cowboys team that have been, yeah, kicked around a fair bit recently. I thought they showed some um, some really good fight and they had every reason to just sort of, you know, uh, not that a team would deliberately uh, uh, lose, but to, you know, to not be as uh, into it, I guess, as, as they were. Um, so they put up a good fight and it was, it was a fun game. I thought what's interesting was uh, it was a, a try near the end. Uh, was it Josh Adokar scored the last try that sort of sealed the deal? Um, mm. Yeah, it was 71st minute. Josh Adokar. There was he just like huge, huge, huge celebrations. Like they just won a grand final, and I was sort of part of my brain is like you've won 14 in a row and you've scored 40 plus points most of those games, and you've just scraped home against the team coming 13th. Like calm down a bit. And the other part of me is like that's the storm mentality. Like when they just care so much about winning and they're so desperate to win every game. Like that sort of just underpins why they're so successful is it just so much goes into winning as much as possible. I just thought it was an interesting sort of moment. Yeah. I think it also says a lot about the team in that another team that had been so used to winning by huge margins when the game is close and they're down or you know, they're only up by two or they're back by four or whatever, another team might panic and start trying to do really stupid, dumb stuff like trick plays because they're used to getting just a run of tries and getting a, you know, I don't want to say an easy win, but, you know, like a comprehensive victory. But the Storm don't. They don't panic. They know what they have to do. You know, the, you know, the, the, the systems fall in place. You switch on the, you know, win the football game algorithm that Craig Bellamy's written. And off it goes, you know, machine learning and they work out what to do and bam, result, result comes. That's, that's Melbourne. Also uh, fantastic to see Ryan Pappenhausen finally back on the field. Been a long layoff uh, managing um, some concussion issues. So I uh, didn't have a huge say in this one. A couple of, um, you know, dangerous moments, but I'm just glad to see him back out there and hopefully he's better for the run. 
Yeah, all you want to see when it's when it's a uh, when a player like that returns after concussion issues, all you want to see is them not get knocked out in their return game, and he he was fine, so good return. Good stuff. Uh, earlier Friday game, the Roosters twenty-eight to eight over the Knights. Um, hugely impressive from the Roosters. We heard a bit about it from uh, Jared Rear Hargreaves and Lachlan Lamb at the, the top of the show. Obviously, a you know a big talking point being losing um, two backs in the the first half. Billy Smith going off early, and then um, was it Ikevalu joining him not long after that. Yep. But I mean, any team that loses two backs with no real sort of backs other than obviously Lamb, who's more of a utility on the, the bench. They should have been right for the picking and Knights, I just thought, were really, really disappointing in this game. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Is it Was it that like the Roosters, uh, the tenacity of the Roosters to, to keep, to stay in the game and eventually run away with it? I mean, or are the Knights just, are, have they become bad? Are they a bad team now? Like, because they, like you said, right, the, the Roosters were poised to be beaten up upon and they, they didn't even come close. Like, if I was a Knights fan, I would have been outraged at that, at, at that game because, I mean, the first half, the Knights, the Knights were basically on top of them for all of the first half, yet still the Roosters were winning at halftime. Like, only the Roosters can be, like, can be ahead after the first half that they had there because they struggled. They struggled a lot. And then in that second half, you know, what, what, what do they say? The Knights just didn't turn up or they stayed in the sheds or whatever. Like, it was a really disappointing, um, really disappointing result for Knights fans, I'd say. Daniel Saifidi was interviewed on field after the game on the, the coverage and he was pretty bitterly disappointed and um, sort of suggested that blokes weren't having a, enough of a dig. I thought he and his brother um, both were actually really strong in the middle and Connor Watson's been a shining light for them this year, but uh, it's probably not a whole lot of players who'd be, uh, I don't think, too happy about the, the way they performed um, in that game. But I mean, got to give credit to the Roosters. That was absolutely vintage from James Tedesco. You had Angus Crichton and Satili Tupanua going out the centres. Lachlan Lamb had to play out wide. You know, Nat Butcher trained in the middle all week and had to play on the edge. Isaac Liu trained in the middle all week, had to go out on the edge. Like uh, a lot of reshuffles to sort of cater for and, um, you know, pretty much didn't miss a beat. Yeah, and I think that's that's what the Roosters, this year especially, because the Roosters just keep, keep seem to be copying these injuries, whether it's, you know, Cordner having to retire or whatever. Um, they're just, they're, they're just dealing with it. So like, you know, reshuffle the deck, um, redeal the hands and, you know, everybody go for it again. And, and they're doing really well. So I think the Roosters should be really proud of this win. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the Knights should not be. First game of the round, the uh, Eels and the Raiders, 12 points to 10, Canberra won in the end. I really, the, the error count was too high in this game and there was some issues with attacking execution from both teams. But all in all, I thought this was one of the, the club games of the year. I thought just the intensity, the physicality, the desperation, that the huge shots, you know, the the tight finish, the the grandstand at the end, the try saver from Jordan Ruppiner in almost the last second. Yeah, this game I thought was really, really entertaining. Yeah, I, I might actually need you to, to uh, run your filter over it because to me, I, I love every minute of this game. And I think it's because I was really invested in the result, right? So because these are the, you know, air quotes, glory bound rounds, there's this, that real glut of teams from like position seven to position 12, maybe even 13. So all the results of all the games involving those teams mean something, right? So as a one-eyed Tigers fan, I'm like, okay, I definitely want the Raiders to lose. So I'm, I'm right on Parramatta for this one. A rare game where I'm really, really, really want Parramatta to win. Um, and so I was, because it was so close and it was, it felt so tense for the whole game like I thought it was a, a wonderful game like I had so much fun so much fun watching it 
I felt like I had skin in the game, but also didn't really care about the result. It was the perfect situation, the perfect way to unwind from a, you know, on a, on a Thursday night. I thought it was all those things you said, like it had big hits that Jordan Rapata um, try saving potential. I mean, it wasn't a shoulder charge. You'd call it like a hip check, whatever, um, to like win the game. Like I love it when a defensive play is the match winning play. That's just so, I don't know. It just, I think it was just a great way to end what I thought was a really entertaining game. Might be a bit of uh, the people who know what I'm talking about will certainly relate, but um, there was a Samoa Tonga test probably seven or eight years ago, uh, played out at Penrith, and um, Sam Cassiano and someone else made a huge diving try save in the corner to, I think, win the game. From I'd have to check the, the details, but reminding me of that just this, you know, desperation try save in the corner to to win a game, and yeah, you're right. I thought wrapping a it almost looked like he was trying to shoulder charge and then missed and it ended up being a hip check. But I mean, people were saying it should have been a penalty or a penalty try. I don't really see how you can penalize that. It was just huge contact in the desperation play and it um, got the result. Speaking of uh, decisions, like I said, I don't think you could give that one a penalty or a penalty try. A lot of consternation on uh, social media and even in the commentary box about the um, the previous Eels try. We've talked that Dylan Brown was offside from the uh, the Jake Arthur kick. I don't know if this was as clear cut as everyone uh, says it was. I mean, people love sort of refs faulting. Um, the, the bunker had a pretty good look at this one and they cleared the onside. The rule is that the uh, the chaser's feet have to be behind, be behind the point of uh, where the ball was kicked. Not so if Dylan Brown can be in front of Jake Arthur's back foot, as long as he's behind where the, uh, the ball leaves his foot. And if you're correct for, um, for parallax error, I'm not sure he really was offside. Correct for parallax error. I love it. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I'm going to be using that all the time. Yeah. I, I, I think Dylan Brown, to me, he looked a mile offside. So I thought, oh, okay, they're not even going to look at the ground and they'll call this back. And, you know, a lot of people have, you know, throw eggs at the bunker and all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I have complete faith in the bunker's ability to rule on, on side. So the fact that they that, that went forward, I just assume, fine, it must be, must be correct for whatever reasons I, I can't understand. Now I know it's because I'm not correcting for parallax error. Um, but it reminds me, it reminded me of um, a similar situation, I think around three, where the Tigers, the Tigers-Parramatta game, it was decided by a Clint Gutherson try off like a Fergo sort of, um, accidental accidental winning play and it looked for all money like Guffo got the ball in an offside position and the bunker had cleared it and I guess you know the, the, the bunker knows how to rule the bunker knows how to rule on everything of course but there's no way they can um, miss an offside so uh, if, you, if they've called it um, then it must be correct and then I'll go back and I'll make sure I check the parallax error as well but I can definitely understand the, um, you know, the, the social media blowers because for the average punters like me it did look like he was offside yeah, it's certain. I thought it looked it looked offside as well. But if you actually go to the the freeze frame at the point of release, I think he quite possibly was just uh, onside. It's not just like you're right. The bunker is actually really good at checking for onside. It's sort of a, a black and white kind of thing, and they they got multiple camera angles they can look at at the same time. I didn't necessarily agree with all the decisions over the weekend. I didn't really like the two obstruction no try calls in the Cowboys. Oh yeah, can we game. can we talk about them? I didn't even I haven't I didn't understand them like flat out. I don't, I I mean I I get why it would have been an obstruction if the players were really close together or something. Like it's probably a really a horrible way of explaining it, but I don't understand. Maybe I don't know the rules properly, but I just, I just don't understand how they were, why they were ruled obstructions. Yeah. I think they're just drawing a, like the problem is for so long, people have blown up about, we want consistency. And when you want consistency, you get black and white interpretations and that's, that's the end result of that path is, you know, because he caught it just inside 
you know, the lead runner, even though the lead runner was 10 metres in front of him, that's how you end up with those sort of um, results. So they might even be correct by the, the letter of the law, but certainly neither one really felt like an obstruction watching it live. Mm. Uh, I think ref's faulting is, you know, pretty bottom draw, to be honest, but um, probably a few missed calls in that one. I think Brandon Smith had a knock-on that was missed. It was a forward pass in the Tulangi uh, in the Cowboys try. So, um, yeah, a few uh, sketchy ones in that um, that game. But, uh, yeah, to the original point, yeah, I think Bunker's pretty good at getting, getting the offsides correct. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, was, that was where we started. The Bunker, I would never question the Bunker's ability to rule on an offside. Anyway, that is uh, all eight games from uh, round 22. Um, uh, pretty exciting. It's round 22. Round 19. Um, <laughs> I wish you were thinking. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Kenny, uh, once again for being here. We'll be back uh, this time next Sunday to talk about round 20.